before, but sometimes, I don't know whether you're like me, sometimes you wonder if there is a God. And sometimes, you know, your life is going all over the place and you wonder whether there's anything you can trust. And that's the time to pick up a candy and drop it. When you're feeling most insecure and most doubtful about the love of God, pick up a candy and drop it. And remind yourself that gravity always works. Gravity is a law. Gravity is something that exists irrespective of what happens. And then tell yourself, well, God's love is like that. It is totally constant, totally reliable, and has nothing to do with how I feel. And sometimes we need to speak to ourselves like that because we are so wrapped up in our own emotions. In a start with a familiar story, it's Jesus uh, calming the storm in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, and just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Father, this morning as we consider your word, we pray that you will encourage us with the truth of your word and that we would grow in understanding who you are among us today. Open our ears and our hearts to your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk today and think today about um, this question of the presence of God, the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. I wonder what that means as I say that to you. Um, We hear a lot today about people saying, oh, I went to that meeting and there was such anointing. And God's presence was there. Or you should see that person speak, they're so anointed. Or when they sang that song, you know, the place was thick with the presence of God. Some of the terms I've heard over the last few years. And there's a lot of talk in our culture um, about seeking the presence of the Lord. And what I want to reflect on today is what are we actually doing? And how do you know the difference between a hyped up emotion and the presence of the Lord? What is the presence of the Lord really about? Is it just that? It might be. But what is the presence of the Lord and and, um, is it something we should strive to seek? I am of the conviction that much of our Christian experience right now is rooted in emotions and has actually nothing to do with the presence of God. It's got to do with whether I like the song or not. 
and how much of a good mood I feel I'm in. I'm not being cynical. I'm merely saying I think we need to really be aware of that. Now that doesn't matter. Just say be aware of it. Sometimes it's cool. You just stand up and sing songs and you feel good and that's what it is. The presence of the Lord might well follow through from that. But I'm wanting to take us into a maybe a deeper place and plead with us that maybe as we seek the presence of the Lord and we talk about the presence of the Lord, we in a sense go into a deeper place. Because I don't think the presence of the Lord is just a feeling. I do think it includes feelings. I don't think it's just an emotion, even though it includes emotions. But I want to suggest, actually, that like gravity, the presence of the Lord is everywhere now. Period. In other words, whether I feel like it or not, God is as present here now when I am aware of it as he is present when I'm not aware of it at all. So, if God's presence may be here right now as thick as is possible and I'm not aware of it, maybe the thing I need to ask is, Lord, how can I become aware of what is present Does it make sense? It's actually quite encouraging because if gravity was dependent on me we would be in trouble and if God's presence was dependent but there are the ways that we can actually enter into that awareness of presence that becomes the release of the kingdom on earth. And the the clue, the, the way we can start the conversation is you go back to this Old Testament picture of God among his people. And when they came out of Egypt and they were set free and they came through the, the desert and eventually came to the mountains of the desert where Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, they eventually got this thing called the Tent of Meeting which where, where Moses met with God and we hear about his glory surrounding it. That's another whole discussion about what does the glory of God mean. <clears throat> and I hope this morning I'll encourage you uh, to, to maybe uh, enter into it in another way or, or just see it with a little bit broader perspective. And Moses entered into the, the, the tent of meeting and, and the glory of God was with him and, and the people were very afraid and they stood far away and Moses went in. And then in the midst of all that they also had this thing called the Ark of the Covenant which was the box that Lynn read out and described. And the Ark of the Covenant was a box with two uh, cherubim which are angelic figures on the lid of it and between and the, it was made out of acacia wood and it was, which was plated in gold and in that box were uh, eventually the law the ten commandments some manna which was a symbol of how God had fed them when they wandered in the desert and there was the rod of Aaron which was a symbol of authority because everybody was grumbling they weren't like us they grumbled you know we would have all just gone and said praise the Lord thank you Jesus so much that you set me free from Egypt and we wouldn't have had half we would have been in there wouldn't we no we wouldn't have grumbled complain anyway they did 
And they, they, you know, they did things like Moses went up the mountain and he took too long. So the people said, what happened to Moses? Let's create our own gods. So they made a, you know, they melted down all their gold and trinkets and they ended up making a golden calf. Which is actually a sign to us that uh, it doesn't take long before we're worshipping something of our own creation. And we get, give good, very good reasons for that, but we're very tend to, we tend to do that very quickly. So in this, ark, in this Ark of the Covenant, in this box, was the Ten Commandments, which is the law. It was the manna, uh, which was uh, God's provision. And it was the rod, or the uh, staff of Aaron, which was budding, and it was a, it was a symbol of, of authority that God had entrusted to leadership. And those were placed in that box, and that box was eventually placed in the tent of meeting, and then in what they call the Holy of Holies. It was, it was the most valuable possession of the people of Israel. And God said, I will meet with you on the mercy seat, which was between the two angels on the top. And when they made sacrifices, they, they uh, spread blood, the blood of a lamb, on, on, on that seat. It was the mercy seat where God would forgive. And in the Old Testament you have these stories of, of the accounts of what happened to this box, this Ark of the Covenant. It was carried on long poles and it was uh, revered. And wherever that box was, that was where God's presence dwelt. And it went on a few journeys and the Philistines, uh, their enemies captured it at one point and then they, they ended up getting sick and had a whole lot of diseases happen. And so they said, well, let's get rid of this thing. And then David, uh, they said, you know, they put it on the back of a, a cart with oxen and said, just go. They wanted to get rid of it and they made sacrifices and they, I won't go into all of that. And then they, basically David heard that this, the Ark of the Covenant, which had been lost, was found. He wanted to bring it back to Jerusalem. And uh, one guy was following, the, following that, the train of it and he stumbled and he fell and he touched the Ark of the Covenant, the box, and he was killed. And other guys looked into it. I think when they found, when they found these, these oxen carrying this, this box, they said, oh, the ark has come. And some guy said, just check this out. And they opened it up and they were killed too. God said, you don't mess with my stuff. It's pretty scary actually. And David arranged for this box to come, this ark of the covenant to come up to Jerusalem. And you know, every six yards they, 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 they made a sacrifice. Then he danced. It's the time when he danced, you know, virtually in a loincloth in front of all these people. And his wife said, how embarrassing. You are a jerk. And he said, I will do that for my God. I will be undignified. And that Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. And once a year, in Jerusalem eventually, and once a year, the priest would go in and make a sacrifice on behalf of the people and in fact the priest had a rope tied to his ankle so that if he f was unconscious he could be dragged out they were terrified of the presence of God and also dependent upon it the Ark of the Covenant symbolized God's love for his people his presence, his authority and Jesus came into the world and uh, he lived and he died, he taught and he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, the veil that hung over the entranceway to the Holy of Holies, which is nine inches thick, was torn from top to bottom. 
And ultimately what Jesus came to say was now there is a new day, a new generation, a new time. And I, I'm going into this because I, I know for myself it's really easy to forget what has happened, what is history and what God has done. And yet these, these people were terrified that God would strike them down. They knew the anger of God or the power of God, but he was distant. And when God therefore came and Jesus came into the world and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, it was totally, totally revolutionary. Because they hadn't known anything like it. They hadn't got any sense that God was like that. Because they had the Holy of Holies, they had the Ark of the Covenant inside, they'd never seen it, the Holy of Holies, and they had a court that they couldn't go into. Then they had priests that kept them out. Then they had Pharisees and teachers who kept them even further away. Because the Jews had this idea of, he's given us three laws. If I give you 20 and you, wor you worry about breaking those 20, you won't have any danger about breaking the big ones. And so religion just became this legal system. So you never got close to the Ark of the Covenant. You just sorted out the laws over here. And when Jesus came, he started saying, all of this is going to get swept away. And when that veil was torn, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, it was like him opening up those curtains of the Holy of Holies and screaming out to Jerusalem, Okay, everybody, come inside. Dad says it's okay, you can come. Why? Because I've paid. You're, you're, you're okay now. All these sacrifices and all these rituals you had to go through to, to protect yourselves and come back to God, I've, I've taken them on myself. So you can come in. You know you go to these, these clubs and you have a stamp on your wrist that says you, you paid. Well, that's what Jesus did. He said, when you said yes to me, I stamp your wrist and they go, oh, you, you can come in. It's the blood of Jesus has done it for you. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was made out of acacia wood. Acacia wood was the same wood that the Ark of Noah was made out of. Acacia wood and the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark that is um, Noah's boat are symbols of salvation, of people who were going to die and were rescued. And Jesus came into this world died on a cross so that we could be rescued, much like those... I, mean, I bet you every church in North America is referring to the Chilean miners. Much like those miners were trapped and couldn't get out and needed somebody to rescue them. One at a time, by a power greater than was theirs. And Jesus came and did that, and the gold over the acacia wood is a symbol of the glory of God, the, the power of God, the grace of God over Jesus. The cherubim the angels over that mercy seat and the blood shed on the mercy seat are about sacrifice which Jesus gave on the cross the contents of that covenant box that the ark of the covenant were the commandments which Jesus said if you look at me I have come to fulfill the law he also said I am the bread of life which was the manna I will come to me and I will provide for you and then he also said that the rod of Aaron, which is authority, all authority is mine on heaven and on earth. So everything that was in that covenant was, was captured in Jesus.
So, in Jesus, the doorway, the veil was open, the door was open to a new relationship with God. God was Father, and we were His children. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power, which is my Holy Spirit, that will come upon you and empower you to be what you're not. This was revolutionary. Up until this time, it was the priest talked to God and we just sit around here. And in a sense, that's why we react to a lot of traditional religion because it hasn't changed that much. If you talk about priests like that, it's a wrong terminology altogether. God opened up the way for everyone to come into his presence, everyone to know him, everyone to be received by him. Everyone. Everyone who comes and says, Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me. Nobody could rescue those Chilean miners Nobody could go up there in place of the one. They had to make that trip themselves. Nobody else could do it. The same is true with God. Nobody else can make the trip for you. You have to do it yourself. But it's a whole new life. And so what John says, in John's Gospel, he says, Jesus, uh, the Word became flesh and lived among us. But the Greek says, what? The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It really is very symbolic of the Ark of the Covenant, in a sense, lived among us in a human form in the person of Jesus. And through Jesus, all that was required by the law was fulfilled so that human beings, after Jesus, could come into personal relationship and encounter with God and that's why Paul says, or Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In John's Gospel, Jesus talks about um, being the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, uh, We will come and, uh, my Father and I will come and make our home with you. That's revolutionary. What's he actually saying? He's saying the most holy place in Israel was the temple and the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant in order that you might come into the presence of God. Now he says, through my blood, through my sacrifice on the cross, we will come and live in you. Where's the presence of God? In you. He says to him, I, I only do what my father tells me to do. I'm in relationship with him. I'm demonstrating what it is like to live in the presence of God. So what does God's presence look like? 
Whoops. What does God's presence look like? If you want to know what God's presence looks like, look at Jesus. God's presence looks like somebody who loves unconditionally. God's presence looks like somebody who accepts all people unconditionally. God's presence looks like somebody who doesn't pay back. God's presence looks like somebody who reaches out to all. God's presence looks like somebody who lays hands on the sick and they get healed. God's presence looks like somebody who worships and honors God and gives him the glory for their lives. God's presence looks like somebody who is extremely generous. All that I have, he has. God's presence looks like kindness and patience, goodness, peace, power, passion. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in a human being. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, you know this phrase probably, but let me remind us of it. It's about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 um, Don't you know that you and yourselves are, uh, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. What happens if God looks at every human being and says, you're either occupied or you're not not occupied, but I created you to be my temple, and as long as you have breath, I will do everything in my power to enable you to become alive, that you might know that you are a vehicle in which, a person in which my spirit dwells. So treat each other with respect. Treat each other well. Because you treat me as you treat them. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where is the presence of God? It's in you. So when we pray and say, "Uh, Lord, send your presence. And he says, excuse me. Lord, bring us your presence. Excuse me? I'm here. What do you mean, bring it? I'm here. There's a, it's not in the Bible, but it could have been, where Jesus uh, says, uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Please let me out. You see, it's, last week we talked about the seed that grows. It's a question of allowing God's presence to be released. And that's what I want to sort of finish with. I really believe this is hugely important. And I also believe it's why neglecting it has caused us to be such a divided, dysfunctional group of people. And I'm talking about the wider Christian community. I think the witness in this valley of Christianity is fighting Gossip, division, anger, unforgiveness. Gossip, division, anger, unforgiveness, resentment, jealousy. And you all know it's true. 
How many, there are 50, uh, there, there's so many churches in this valley, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. There's a floating group. There's still not a church that's good enough. And I'm shooting from the hip here. All I'm saying is, I don't think Jesus needs to die on a cross for that kind of witness. There's nothing remarkable about that. Nothing impressive. Nothing that would cause me to say, oh, I want to be a Christian, just look how they behave. We're all guilty, brothers and sisters, so I'm not pointing fingers. We're all guilty. We're all a part of grace and mercy too. It doesn't have to stay that way. The only way it's not going to stay that way is when I own my stuff. Right? It's not, it's not about, I'll do it when you do it. It's I'll own my stuff. And so God starts saying to us, if my presence is in you, then why is that still happening? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's cool. He says in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, are you listening intently or is frozen stiff? Probably both, maybe, I hope. Don't worry, we're nearly finished. He says um, in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, come Lord with fire, heat them up. Start shivering and it's all right. We'll pretend it's the Spirit. Um, 2 Corinthians 6.16 For we are the temple of the living God. As, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And what does he say there? He said that you individually are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says you together are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Ark of the Covenant, the elements of the Ark of the Covenant is the manna, which is God's provision. He says, I will provide for you. If I dwell among you, I give you my provision, my promise of provision in my son Jesus. He says, um, I give you my commands in my son Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He said, um, I command you to love one another. It's kind of a, the only one he really said. I command you to love one another. I'm not suggesting it. I'm not saying it would be a good idea if you did. He said, I command you to. And a bit like uh, Adam and Eve in the, in, the, in the garden, we go, oh, did it, but, 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 but. He said, I command, I, I, I didn't, I'm not commanding you to like each other, but I am commanding you to love one another. And he says actually something quite interesting. He just says, you know, for the simple reason that it's because the way you love one another will actually speak to other people about my reality and my presence in you. How can you say you love God and you don't love one another? We live in a culture now that is, is, it loves worshipping. But a lot of it isn't worship. 
self-gratification. I just love the music, I love the concerts, I love the set, I love the emotions. All of it is not bad, but if that's what it is, so what's the test? It's real simple. Once we come out of worship, what's our relationships like? What comes out of our heart? What comes out of our mouth? How is that love of God expressed in love for one another? Then we get, oh, I love everyone, I love everybody, I love everybody, I love everybody. Jesus so loved the world that he became flesh. Real time, real space, real body, real moment in history. And I think what Jesus is saying is, uh, love one another as I have loved you in real time, in real places, in real communities that have expression in a tangible way. That's the reason belonging is important. That's the reason gathering together is important. It actually is the test as to how true this stuff is. We need one another. We need one another's support. We need one another's encouragement. We need one another's forgiveness. We need one another's everything. I mean, I find it incredibly easy to abstractly forgive the world. It's in the relationship that it becomes challenging. Everything becomes challenging when it comes down to, you know, somebody right across. Love one another as I have loved you. I give you authority, the authority that is the, is the identity of children. And I give you my word and my scriptures. And before we totally freeze, John fourteen twenty three. As he said, uh, my father will love him. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The promise of the father. I will be present in you. Just open yourself and let me come in. And in John 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and will be given to me. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I call you friends. You did not choose me. I chose you to go and bear fruit. The Father will give you anything in my name if you ask. But go out and share my love and you will be my disciples and others will know that you are real and I am alive. So my prayer and my challenge to us is if we want to grow in a church community that really does know the presence of God, that we take seriously, firstly that his presence is always present where people acknowledge Jesus as Lord, even when it's freezing cold. His presence is as clearly here today as if we were absolutely comfortable because it's not dependent upon us. His presence is always here. But when, if we want to enter into another expression of his presence, a deeper sense of his power, then in order to do that, it's not singing the songs, it's wa- watching our relationships. That's why reconciliation is so important. 
It's why our relationships are so important. Not superficial ones. Ones that work out our salvation. Ones that work out things. If we want to see the power of God increase, then we pay attention to what's going on in our own hearts and relationships. And we share with one another what it means to be provided for by God, to live under His authority, and to feed on Him and read His scriptures. Does that make sense? The presence of God is not just some emotion. It's a promise that is given, is fulfilled through Jesus that we are invited into. But the fruit of God's presence is the test of if it's the real thing or not. And the fruit of God's presence is in our hearts, attitudes and relationships. And we want to be a church that says, we don't want to just talk about it. We don't just want to sing songs. We want to work it out. Because we believe that working it out releases more, releases deeper, releases more, releases deeper. And we become more transformed as individuals and as a community. And then the community says, wow, look at those guys. They used to fight and now they're getting on. They used to be apart, but now they're together. And that's why I say without embarrassment or without any... I absolutely am convicted that everybody that has been related to this church over the last 25 years needs to be reconciled. Needs to be here. To build a big church? Not really. Just to make it real. I've walked around the block of this community for a long, long time. And there's a lot of nonsense. And I say under God that for, re- for reconciliation to really witness and bite and to see something extraordinary, I encourage us to work it out one by one by one so that it has real expression and real substance. And the presence of God will be here, believe me, in a tangible way. So we're all responsible for saying, Lord, here I am, use me. Use me to build such a community of faith that God wouldn't have to take people outside of the community to do healing. But we will see it here because we're taking it seriously. It's a very cool promise. It's a very cool invitation, isn't it? A little cool today, but uh, it's pretty hot, actually. So let's stand and sing a song. and um, Not sing a song... Let's come before the Lord and we're going to sing um, Healing Rain. And let's just say, Lord, here I am. I just uh, welcome your presence in me. I thank you for your presence in me. And I want to just be part of the fruit bearing that you're wanting to do in us. And then we're going to uh, chat with David briefly and then we'll go and have coffee.